Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Well, uh, welcome everybody. And uh, first thing I have to do is start off with an apology. Um, I do not have any fancy props. You know, I don't have a throne to sit on. Um, You know, last week when John was speaking, he had that rope right here. I was sitting right there where my lovely wife is, and I started thinking, okay, what is he going to do with that rope? (laughs) How to climb out of the pit of of despair. I, I don't know. And so he's extremely creative like that. Uh, I'm sorry, all I'm going to give you today are words, okay, and, and hopefully some uh, word uh, images. So uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of gathering. We just thank you for uh, the family of God, and we ask that you would speak to us today uh, through your word, Father, that your spirit would impress upon us Lord, the principles from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, uh, we've been going with the book of James for the past um, couple of months or so. And the book of James has been, it's been a real incredible journey, you know, that, that we've been together on as, as a church. And, uh, you know, I have the pleasure of, of being able to start off chapter five and um, specifically with the book itself. Um, the book of James, it, it, it's broken up into so many different sections that talk about different characteristics of faith. And I just have a few listed up here. Um, in the first chapter, it talked about having uh, true faith to w- bring us to the point where we're able to obey the word of God, uh, true faith so that we're able to uh, not discriminate. Uh, true faith allows us to be able to measure and control our words True faith also gives us the ability to see our need and our dependence upon God. More specifically, our dependence upon his power, his perspective, his his patience, right, and his protection. So there have been so many different things that we've talked about. And what I'd like to do is this morning, um, I want to ask the question, if I click on, there we go. What is faith? Because the book tells us so much about having true Christian faith. And in essence, what faith is, is a, a, it's a belief system that guides our lives. And this belief system often gets put to the test. For example, any married men in here? Raise your hands. All right. So one day, a while back, you had faith or you believed that the woman you want to marry would actually say yes. So what did you do? You put that faith or that belief to the test and you did what? You asked her, right? You asked her and, he, and she said yes, obviously. But that's just an example of how we can very simply put our faith to the test. So the book of James, it contains a series of basically tests that James gives us 
that test our Christian character and our faith. So what I want to do this morning is I want to go over about six different admonishments that James gives us in the book, in, in uh, chapter 5, that actually helps us to see the necessity of our faith and, our, and the necessity of us being able to have faith in order to participate with any process that God has for us and that he wants to take us through. So, the book of James 5-7, it says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets, for, 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 take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, they count, they count it as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. So this particular passage, it highlights several key characteristics of, of endurance, okay, and how this endurance works with our faith. More specifically, um, he starts off by talking about waiting for the coming of the Lord. So I'm going to jump off with the first admonishment that he says in that first scripture. Actually, the first, first word is to be patient. How many of you like that word, patient? No, no, I'm, I'm the same way. You know, we, we, you know, we have like a cognitive, uh, a, a cognitive def definition of that. It, it, to me, basically when something's a cognitive definition, is what you think of when you hear the word. When I hear patience, I think, oh gosh, it's like Christmas, right? When I was a kid, you know, you had to be patient for Christmas because it's something that you wanted to come, and, but it just took so long getting there, right? It took so long. Well, the Greek word, um, for, for suffering, not suffering, for, for patience, actually it is suffering. I mean, we don't think that, but it actually is. Makarthumio, all right, it means to suffer while enduring circumstances. So the very first thing that James tells the people in the, in the book is to be patient. Be patient. Suffer through whatever circumstance you are going through at this point. And moreover, it's the quality of, suffer, of enduring something that's unpleasant or even unpredictable. How many of you guys like when things are unpredictable? No, we love predict, you know, things that are predictable. We love to know that, okay, when I get up in the morning, uh, my coffee's going to be ready. I know, you know, my wife, you know, she's going to be nice to me. I, 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 I know my job is going to be there. I know the world is going to work a certain way. That's how we're designed, that's human nature. We get tossed off of that when things are unpredictable. And that's when we have to learn to be patient. Second admonishment, the Lord is coming. Okay. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Now it's amazing that um, we think about this term, the, the Lord is coming, 
And in our busy lives as Christians here, you know, in the West, in the United States, we, 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 we overlook the fact that God says that Jesus is coming back, that there will be a day that he will be revealed in a very practical and tangible manner. And more, moreover, I, I think it's important to really focus on that because he's coming back because, number one, he said he would. Scripture is replete with areas that says, I am coming back. Angels said that he would come back. When he ascended unto heaven, the angels appeared to the disciples and say, don't fret, the same Jesus is coming back the way that he just left. A third witness we have from that are the apostles. All of them wrote in some manner that the Lord is coming back. So I believe that's something that we should never forget and that we should always have in the back of our mind, that Jesus will come back. You know, a funny story, years ago, uh, I remember having this conversation with this guy, um, and he was asking me, hey, you know, are you pre-trib, are you mid-trib, or are you post-trib? And essentially what he was referring to was the, tribu uh, the tribulation. The Bible talks about there will be a time like none other on the earth where men's heart will fail, faint them for fear because of the troubles that are coming. And the, I mean, we kind of see that already. And we were insulated here in, in the United States a little bit, but the rest of the world is in chaos, in chaos. So uh, those things are associated with this great tribulation that, that has been described to us in the book of Revelations, and also Jesus did it in many other places. But at any rate, the idea, there's, there's, there's three schools of thought, okay? The first school of thought is that the church is going to be raptured or pulled out of the world before this great time of tribulation, this time of Jacob's trouble. A second school of thought is that the church is going to endure the half of it, okay, mid-tribulation. So about 3.5 years into it, Jesus comes back, pulls the church out, okay? So we only get half of it. Third uh, perspective is post-tribulation. Church goes through all of it, okay? It goes through the wrath of God, goes through the wrath of Satan, the whole thing, and then Jesus comes back. So this guy was asking me, are you pre-trib, you know, are you mid-trib, are you post-trib? I looked at him and I said, you know what? I'm pan-trib. <laughs> However it pans out, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is to have your heart and your eyes focus on Jesus to do what God has set in your heart to do. Whatever that may be, and we'll let the Lord figure out the rest. Have your heart ready. So it's a, it's a long way of saying that the Lord is coming one way or another. And the Greek term for that is parousia. And it's often associated with the word apocalypsis. Okay, apocalypsis means unveiling. Matter of fact, that's what the word revelation means. The unveiling of the Christ, of Jesus. And this coming of the Lord at some point, we could look at it in two ways. Number one, on a macro level, when he appears, it will be a literal, physical, tangible manifestation of the Lord. All right? And we have that in Revelations 1-7, and it says, look, he is coming in the, with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, 
and all people on the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Amen. How many of you look forward to that day? Give us a few more years, everybody be raising their hand. Oh, I'm serious. I am serious. A few more years, we all going to want to be out of here. Simply put, we will see what's going on in the world. I mean, our hearts, will be, that's, that's, why, uh, that's why it's so important to have your heart open to the Lord in terms of evangelizing, in terms of sharing your message, sharing your story. Why? Because there has to be a sense of urgency, because Jesus is coming back. He is coming back on a macro level, but he's also coming back on a micro level. Now, what do I mean by that? The micro level is the fact that we all have this individual relationship with him. Whenever we're going through some sort of struggle, whenever we're going through some sort of tribulation, we have an expectation that, God, you need to show up in this situation for me. You need to manifest your provision, manifest your power, manifest your protection. And that's when God will show up and will come to your individual situation. You're hearing me. Because God is coming back one way or another, as James writes. All right. Admonishment number three. James uses a very familiar illustration to make this point right here. And, uh, and that point is we need to recognize and trust the process that God takes us through. That's another one on P words, process. Anybody like process? I'm not talking about processed food, right? Everybody raise their hand, I love processed food. You know, no, no, it's not, not the case. The process is something that God takes you through step by step, increment by increment, precept by precept. And, and James writes, he says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently, there's that word again, waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Other translation says waiting for the early and latter rain. Latter rain. And he uses this, this illustration because everyone back then would have understood because it was an agrarian culture. They understood that you needed to, in order to eat, in order to survive, you needed to be able to plant your food. You needed to be able to cultivate whatever it is that, you've, that you're growing. And it comes down to this. Uh, if you look at the, 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 the rainy cycle in, the, in, in Judea or in Israel, during the summer months, it's bone dry. Okay, bone dry and the ground gets very hard. Fallow ground, all right? You have to, it gets very hard. But around October, you know, November, right around now, you know, they get something called the yore, and that is the early rain. And it, that rain comes, and it soaks up the, in, in the ground, and it loosens up the ground, so they're able to actually plow up the ground and then be able to plant. And then they're able to cultivate and begin to grow their crops. And around April, they get the malkosh, and the malkosh is what you call the uh, latter rain. And it's that latter rain that causes the fruit to ripen. 
It causes the crop to, to, to become sweet so it's able to be uh, harvested. So you've got this entire process that the folks would have understood. And Jesus, again, in, in there's so many other areas in Scripture where he talks about this. Mark 4, uh, 26, uh, he talks about the parable of the soils um, and uh, the parable of the farmer, how an individual plants the, the seed, then he goes to bed at night, the, the seed begins to sprout. How it is, he does not know. He doesn't fully understand the process, but he knows the process works. So therefore, he puts his trust in the process. You and I, as James is writing to the people, we go through a process as well. It's that process of sanctification, that process of God breaking up the fallow ground in our lives. Anybody ever feel like that, feel that way at times where, where there's just a breaking and it's just it's uncomfortable. Uh, you much rather not go through it, but yet God does it and he sends people, he sends his word, and he sends things to, to encourage us, to, to help make our hearts malleable, circumstances that, that do that as well. It may even be a sickness. These things, God uses it all. And that's akin to the early rain coming into our hearts, softening everything up. But if you stay in the process, then you'll get that latter rain, and that's when your life begins to produce that fruit. And God, through that process, brings you to that point where you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing something here. I'm growing. And that's the whole point of it, is growth in our lives. You know, I... I love, you know, how John um, uses, uh, he, he has that sermon that he preaches, G Jesus in a bottle, you know, and, and, and uh, he talks about uh, our culture in, in a broad sense, how God is pruning the church. I mean, that's another term. In other words, he's cutting things away. He's, he's, he's tearing down these various um, idols that we've had, which is materialism. You know, God is exposing those things and letting us know that, okay, these things are in your heart, and because they're in your heart, they're separating you from me, or you're not be able to get enough power from me. Well, what God is doing through guys like John and another guy that I listen to all the time, all the time, his name is Gary Price. Um, he's talking to the church and letting the church know that we have to let these things go that are impeding us, that, that are holding back our growth. And that, you know, there will be a time, actually we're kind of living in it now, uh, you probably, perhaps you've heard the term apostasy. You know, apostasy is when somebody who has once believed and then they've turned their back and they say, I don't believe anymore because I need to go get fulfilled in a different way. I know too many people like that. And what it does is it... <laughs> A person apostates or apostatizes when they turn their back on the process that God has for them. Okay? And I believe one thing that happens in our culture far too much is we fail to recognize that we have to go through this process of sanctification and that we rely far too much on the event in our life. Here's what I mean. You know, we look at James again, go back to his illustration. He talked about the farmer, okay, everybody again understood that, but that involved the process, 
Okay, farming's a process. But there's also an event. In other words, instead of growing your food, you could actually just go to the market. Okay? We do it all the time, don't we? You know, I'm, I got to go to the grocery store. My lovely wife, she does it, you know, faithfully. It's an event. You go to the market, you buy what you need, and then you leave. In essence, what's happened is someone else has done all the work. Someone else has done the, the cultivating of the ground. Someone else has done the planting. Someone else has done the harvest. And because someone else has done it, I don't have to worry about the process. And a lot of times in our lives, I know I've seen it in my life, I have not relied upon the process, but I've relied upon the event. Let me give you an example of what that looks like, okay? The event could be a weekly Bible study. The only time I pull out my Bible is when I go to the weekly Bible study where someone else has prepped a message and I get a chance to sit and read that message and reap the benefits of said message. But if I don't understand how to go through the process of walking with the Lord, if I don't understand that I need to be in, hey, what's that, that again? Word, pray, and day. Those things, it comes into the process that we need to develop our own relationship with the Lord. With the Lord. And it is so important that we distinguish between the two. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with going to Bible studies, going to conferences, going to church meetings, all that stuff. That's great, and God feeds us through that. But we have to understand that I need to go in and learn how to do that myself. Take the time with him. Learn how to enter in, into God's prayer, I mean, uh, his presence through praise and worship. You know, it's um, amazing that we have these processes that we go through all the time. You know, I heard this one young man uh, say that, you know, talking about, like, difficult times, uh, we're either going coming out of a trial, okay, we are either in the midst of a trial or we're going into one. And sometimes those processes overlap. We may be coming out of one trial with, let's say, for example, if you have kids, right? All right one kid, you know, we're, we're, we're coming out of it. You know, the, the kid's growing, but then you have another kid. No, we're in the, still in the midst of it, still in the midst of it. And another one, oh, we're about to go into another one. It never stops. So that's why it's so important to, to learn how to recognize when you're in the process that God is taking you through and then trust it, not back out of it. Because when you back out of it, that's when you stunt the growth. All right. You guys awake? Okay, awesome. Let me check my time here because I got a bad habit of going over. That's what happens when you're a college professor. You know, you, a tenured college professor, you just take all the time you want. <laughs> all, right. all right, admonishment number four. Oh, you love this one as well. Don't complain. Oh, come on. Yeah. All right, so verse nine, it says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, I don't need to tell you this, but I'll say it anyway. Complaining is human nature. Isn't it? I mean, it could be like a perfect day, and we'll complain about the weather, especially if you're here in Southern California. All you got to do is just have somebody come from Minnesota and like, I'm not complaining, you know. But the point is that 
True faith, true Christian faith will do what I like to call, it will stifle complaining. Because my eyes aren't on myself. They aren't on my own circumstances. They will be on what God is doing through me, looking at that process, right? So true faith will, 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 will take the troubles and the suffering that you're going through. And I'm not saying discount them. Please hear me right. But it will help me go through the process, all right? And, you know, it's, it's, it's um, important that we understand that when we're complaining, we, we're allowing several things into our lives. You know, actually, we're, we're, we are, uh, uh, we're, we're manifesting a couple of things. And, and one, the first thing we're manifesting is an attitude of fretfulness. Okay, well, you know what, what it is when you fret? And you're, you know, it's like, oh, gosh, you know, if this is going to happen. I just don't want to, oh, the economy, the recession. It's, I mean, we get to a fretful place. And actually, when we are operating from a point of fear, Fear paralyzes you. You stop. You know, it's kind of like tonic immobility. You don't do anything. And, 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 and that, unfortunately, can lead to being discontent in life. And both of these things, fretfulness and discontentment, can separate us from the Lord. Not talking about salvation-wise, but talking about our faith in God, that God will, will come to us, that God will come and, and help us through it. So if we get uh, just, just fearful, I mean, you saw it with the children of Israel, if you remember that story, how uh, so many of them complained uh, when they were out in the midst of the desert, and they looked at Moses, and they said, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you led us out here to die? Never mind the fact that we had all of these miracles that God did. Never mind the fact that God opened and parted an, a, a sea. And it's so easy to forget and not look at those things. But it leads uh, to us complaining and grumbling. Um, you know, when, when we're complaining, and as I was kind of prepping for this message right here, and I like to look at the Greek and, and, and stuff like that. And as I was looking at that word for complain, it actually had like three different things that it could encapsulate. So I thought I'd go ahead and share them with you. Complaining against one another can be seen, be seen in multiple ways. Number one, you can complain of one another. Okay? Basically, that's like you're ranking and comparing the suffering or your experience. That would be like me saying, um, hey, Luke... Uh, you know what? You're, you're not the only one suffering. Uh, I'm suffering too. And what am I doing in that? I'm kind of discounting what he's going through and comparing what I'm going through and trying to rank it and saying, you know what? I'm, I'm suffering more than you. So give me more credit here. That's one form of complaining. Okay. Another form of complaining, and, in, in, and with that one, I'm not doing what Jesus commanded us to do, which was empathize with people. I'm comparing it. A completely different attitudes. Second one, the second way we can complain is we can complain to one another. Okay? Now, this is basically where I'm, sh where I'm sharing my struggle with someone with the deliberate act of trying to transfer my fear and my discontent to someone else. So again, that's like, Luke, sorry, I'm picking on you, bro, saying, Luke, I just lost my job because of this recession. You know what? You're going you, to lose yours too. Why? Because I want to share that misery. I may not even be doing it 
on, on purpose. You know, it may be a subconscious thing, but what I'm doing is I'm grumbling and I'm complaining and I'm trying to get him to complain with me, to get a synergy in order to just have a pity party. Third one is complain about one another. And that's basically a fixing a person, your personal suffering to someone else. Kind of like, if he's not here, I'll, I'll mess with him. It's kind of like John Blue, right? It's kind of like me saying something like, I hate John Blue's sermons. They make me feel so bad. You know, my answer to that would be good. It'd be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, I'm trying to say that someone else is responsible for how I feel. And I'm going to share that with Eddie. And, and it just becomes this mess of emotional release. And again, what that does is that separates us from the power of God. You know, James's advice for all of this is simply, don't do it. Don't complain. Do not complain. Be grateful for what you have and what you're going through, even if it's a time and a period of suffering. Which leads us to this. Be long-suffering. In verse 10, it says, Brothers, sisters, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count it blessed for those who have, for the, blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. When we're talking about suffering and I want to make a couple of things clear, you know, when it deals with suffering. Uh, suffering that, that James was writing about and what many of the apostles who, who've given us all of our epistles, they were talking about or referring to suffering as related to persecution that the church was going through. People came to Christ and they realized that there's something wrong. You know, I, I'm, I'm now a pariah. I am now being uh, uh, ostracized by my family. I am suffering because of Christ. And it didn't make sense to them. So what the apostles would do, they would write and encourage them, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you find yourself in. Okay? It's better for you to suffer for righteousness sake than to suffer as a murderer or suffer as a thief. So that, that leads us to actually want to look a little further about what suffering is. And, you know, we suffer many different ways. Uh, obviously, we could suffer physically, we could suffer mentally. But the different, the two, there are two main types of suffering. If we were going to try to categorize suffering in our world, we would basically put it in two categories. The first one would be Suffering that's due to the fallenness of our nature, of, of our, not our nation, our nation, our world. We're living in a fallen world. Because there is sin in the world, and this world is underneath the auspices of the kingdom of darkness, there's going to be suffering. Okay? And that suffering is essentially a byproduct of existence. If you are outside of God's kingdom, and, and you know, we, we, we find ourselves in these, well, you know, we're all familiar with Charles Darwin, right, and, and, and his origin of the species and uh, how he talked about that 
Life was about the survival of the fittest. It's dog eat dog. Okay? There's a winner and there's a loser, and the loser suffers. Sad, but that's the principle that the kingdom of darkness is built on. And always remember, the nature of the kingdom is always going to reflect the nature of the king. Who's the king of the kingdom of darkness? It's Satan. So it's always going to reflect that. And you will always know that it's never going to be good in that. So that's one. The other way you can categorize suffering is the suffering that comes about in the kingdom of God. Now, when you're suffering in the kingdom of God, it's a byproduct of your conviction. Okay? Your convictions. And it's always going to be associated with self-sacrifice. And we look at so many different things that we see in our lives that it's important to, to, to uh, distinguish the difference between these two. Why? Well, because the person who is in the kingdom of darkness, in other words, they haven't come to Christ. They don't have a regenerate heart at this point. When they suffer, it's basically like they've got no hope. All right? Their suffering's only going to end when the person who is in charge of that suffering, inflicting that suffering, decides to say, okay, enough. And unfortunately, since it's Satan in this world, that's never going to happen until what? Jesus comes back. Okay? Whereas, on the other hand, a person who is suffering on behalf of, of Christ or their convictions, they have hope that their suffering leads to something else. You know, we think about Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before God or before Jesus? I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking. The joy is you. He saw you. All right. He saw McKenna. Right. He saw Tris. He saw Rich. He saw all of us as he was enduring that crucifixion. And he said, I'm going to persevere through this in order for them to be able to have a relationship with me. You know, um, God, there's just so much. I don't know if I ever finish. Uh, <laughs> you know, when we talk about suffering, because all of us go through it from one degree or another, suffering has an essence. Okay, there's different ways you could define the word, but there are about four different ways that you can look at suffering. Okay, suffering can be separation. Okay, where if, if you have a relate like in a relationship with someone, um, there's a difference of opinion. It, it, it creates a what? A distance. You know, there can be an estrangement. You know, that person believes one way, you believe another, you have disagreement. That's a form of suffering, okay? That heartache that you feel, that heartache that I feel, because that, because that relationship is now subject to the separation, that is suffering. Another way you could define it is loss, okay? Our dispossession of property or influence. And these are things that, that the recipients of James's epistle would have been able to relate with because 
they were going through it because of their conviction with Christ. Another way you could define suffering is affliction, any sort of trouble that, that you find yourself in, any sort of difficulties that you begin to experience because you once were with the world, but now you're not of the world. Now there's trouble that's going to come. And the last one, and I think this is the biggest one, this is big, rejection. There is nothing like being rejected. Rejection, if I were John, I'd, I'd use a colorful metaphor, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's, 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 put it like this. Satan is a rejected being. And rejection stirs up the very worst inside of us because we're, we go to someone and they say, I don't want you. You're no longer welcome in my presence. That makes you think, okay, well, what's wrong with me? And it often leads to a narcissistic mentality. It's like, oh, wow, you can't do that to me. I'm better than that. And that's what we're dealing with with the devil. And whenever we're in rejection, I mean, and, and, am I implying that Satan is suffering? Absolutely. Just think about it. He can never go back in the presence of God. Ever. He's done. Of course he's suffering. I don't feel sorry for him, but he's suffering. And the point is, we want to remain with our hearts being pure. And the way that we do that is we look at the suffering that we have to go through and we recognize the process that God is taking us through. You know, there are three principles of, of Christian suffering real quick. First principle is suffering in life has always been part of God's plan of redemption. Okay. Remember I said earlier that the person who suffers as a Christian, they suffer with a purpose in mind. There is going to be a fruit that comes forth from that, right? Jesus' fruit, thus. Okay. Your suffering, your, in, in every, whatever your situation you're going through right now, there's a reason for it. There's a fruit attached to it. Okay. Number two. We must die to self, or in other words, suffer in order to come to him. It's all about denying self. What did Jesus say? If you want to follow me, what do you got to do? You got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and then do what? Follow me. Follow me. In other words, engage in the process that I've given you for that particular time. Thirdly, suffering is the currency that God used to purchase our redemption, right? Our redemption, the relationship that we're able to have with God, it didn't come for free. And as we go through life and we suffer loss of relationships, we suffer, uh, you know, people rejecting us, there is a redemption that's going to come through that. I like to say that God doesn't pull you out of situations. God helps you through situations. Jesus said in his prayer in the garden, he says, Lord, he says, Father, I, prayed, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you be with them as they're going through it. All right. So if you're suffering today, do a couple things. 
I want to encourage you. Number one, pray and ask God to open your, eye, your eyes to the redemptive arc of your situation, whatever it may be. Okay? If there's a, 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 a family member that has walked away from the Lord and that's tearing at your heart, God, what can I do? What, 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 what is the process that you're taking me through and the process you're taking that person through? And how can I pray that person through that process? And as you do that, God begins to heal you. Okay, that's where we say that we don't want to like compare our problems and complain. We want to empathize. And then one way we show empathy is through prayer. Okay, if you could pray for somebody, you probably don't hate them. Okay, ask God to reveal the fruit of your suffering. And then lastly, remember the scripture right here. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So what is the joy, what is the redemptive fruit that God has set before you as you're going through a suffering period of time? Amen? All right, guys can bear with me. I think there's one more admonishment. You with me? All right, admonishment number one. Oh, this is the favorite one right here. Do not swear, okay? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> above all, everybody say above all. Do not swear, okay? And, 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 and it's funny that James starts it off by saying above all, because as I began to research this, what I began to find was in the Jewish culture, it was customary to swear. And we're not talking about using bad words, okay? What we're talking about is making an oath that borrowed against the credibility of God's name. So essentially what would happen is if there was somebody who would have to say, I swear unto God, you know, I swear by Jehovah or Yahweh or whatever, essentially what he was saying that, you know what, I know I'm suspected of falsehood, so, uh, you know, I got to swear by something greater than myself, okay? And what that meant was that you had a problem trusting that individual. So what James was saying that, you don't want to swear. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Okay? Because um, when we swear by God's name, what we're doing is we're profaning God's name. What does it mean to profane something? It means to take something that was precious and to make it common. Okay? And that's the sin. It's taking that which was valuable, that which was great, that which was highly esteemed, and making it something that's worth less than it was before. So, as James says, just say what you do, do what you say and say what you do. Essentially, be the person you say you're going to be. You know, it makes me think of, um, let me just get through that. I've already said that stuff. Okay, it, it makes me think of this This experience that we had at the USC football game um, the other night. Um, you know, first of all, I, when you ever go into a movie and you're sitting in a movie, the movie's great, and then it comes. One of the characters says, Jesus Christ. That always irks me. Why? Because it's taking 
the holy, the precious, and making it profane, turning it into a swear word, turning the only name that can, by which man can be saved into something that's less than that. Well, we were at the USC football game, and um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Coliseum. I'm almost done, folks. Uh, I've been to the Coliseum. The, the seats are, you're basically sitting on top of one another, right? You know, so there was this gentleman and his family, real nice family, you know, young family, young, young kids and whatnot. Good, good guy, you know. Um, someone was coming through our aisle. I had to st- stand up in order to let the lady pass. And as I did, he had been leaning over me, okay, and his drink spilled all over my back. All right. Fortunately, it wasn't a beer. <laughs> you know, so he, he gets very apologetic. He says, oh, sir, I'm sorry. You know, he takes his coat and he's like wiping off my back. And I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. It's good. It was cold because it was cold in the Coliseum that night. But, uh, you know, there was no, no, no big deal. Okay. So we sit down, we're watching the game, having a good time. But then every time USC's defense would have like a little hiccup, uh, he would sit back and he said, oh, Jesus. And he would do it over and over again. And I was sitting there because I just was talking to my wife. I was telling her about this part of the sermon. And I'm like, how do you address things like that in our culture? Okay. So I'm, I'm sitting there. And I'm, I'm literally praying. I'm like, Lord, what do I do? You know, I mean, I could turn around and like kind of like rebuke him. Say, hey, God, hey, man, you, you shouldn't do that with Jesus' name, you know, and kind of dress him down in front of his wife and kids and you know that wouldn't have been cool okay it wouldn't have been cool for that particular situation so my wife gets up my wife and daughter they get up they come back and they bring some food and I'm sitting here thinking I'm like okay God what do I do and then it comes to me and I remember what my creative writing teacher said and and she would always tell us in your writing show don't tell and I thought about it and Ramona sits next to me, and again, everybody's around. It's real close, close quarters. I said, okay, and I just said, all right, let's pray for the food. Father, thank you for this food. We thank you so much for your provision. I ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Everybody heard it. I'm like, that's how you use that name. And I don't know the real effect in the mind, in the guy's mind, but he stopped doing it after that. We're in a culture where sinners are going to sin. People are going to behave according to the kingdom that they are in. Our job, show, don't tell. Believe God for opportunities to show people what Christianity is like and what a relationship with Jesus is like. Amen? You know, um, my last slide here, James's instruction was to pers- preserve the reverence and the holiness of God's name. Be true to your own word and do what you say you're going to do. Let's go ahead and have the, uh, the band come on back up, please. You know, I, I do have another story, you know, as they're getting set up, and I'm thinking about, you know, what happened, when, how do we deal with, with this culture that we're in, and in terms of walking Christianity out, years ago, 
I was walking on the campus of Cal State Long Beach. And I walked past this young man. And just as I did, he was talking to somebody else. And he just swore. I mean, he said, I'm so tired of this God, you know, man, you know, he used a bad word, uh, uh, university. And, and I just kept walking. And then it's almost like the Lord did this. And I felt like, oh, what am I doing? And, and it's kind of like I walked up to him. And just in an even voice, I said to him, no, God's last name is not damn it. <laughs> and I just walked on, you know. <laughs> and the guy is just kind of like standing there. You know, and, and, and it's just, it's all about being led, right? It's about how you handle the culture. It's about how God leads you. Five days later, I'm in front of that bookstore just doing something. I don't even remember what it was. And somebody comes up to me, taps me on the shoulder. I turn around, and it's that same guy. His name was Ken. He looks at me, and he says, I just want to say thank you for doing what you did. After you said that, I went home, and I realized just how far away from God I had fallen. And I repented. I just want to say thank you. Then he walked away. Be led in how you deal with the culture. You know, you never know what God wants and how he's going to bring us through. But more importantly, as we take communion together, I want to encourage you to think about the process that God is taking you through right now. And if you need a cup, raise your hand. Someone will get you one. Communion represents a process. It represents the shed blood of Jesus and of his body. And as we partake with, of this, what I'd like you to do is just think about the situations you may be suffering in because of your conviction. And you think about the joy that was set before Jesus. Think about the redemptive ark that God has for you and whatever you're suffering through. Okay. It could be a physical suffering. It could be a mental. It could be a spiritual. It could be a broken relationship because of the word of God. Jesus will finish the process if you stay in it. Please go ahead and partake of the elements, and I'll pray. Father, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for your word. And Father, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to stay in the process that you have given us, the process of sanctification, the process of being a, a, a son or a daughter of yours, Lord. We love you, and we ask that you would continue to work in our lives until the day that you come. In Jesus' name, amen.